This is Talk is Sheep, the official podcast of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, brought to you by Sitka Come along as we bring conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. This episode is sponsored by our conservation partner, Yeti. Thank you Sitka Gear and Yeti for investing in healthy wildlife and sustainable ecosystems. Well, Mr. Barker, we got a couple cold ones here and we get to do this face to face. Yeah, that's a change, isn't it? Instead yeah. of on a Zoom meeting. Yeah, it's kind of a kind of a treat. These are always fun cuz you get the energy and uh and then also to have a a cool refreshment. So summer coronas with some lime in them. Yeah. Yeah, so we can't even talk uh, sheep beers or anything. So, uh, actually, we're about due for a new one, I think. So we'll have to reach out to Trench and see what we got. We've done our, what have we done? We've done the two. We've done our California Common, and then before that, we did our. Uh, what was the first one that we did? Wasn't it the Stone Sheep? Was the Stone Sheep the second one? Uh, was the California Common the first one? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And okay. Then the stone Sheep. Okay, so we'll have to reach out to them and get something going for the wintertime, maybe a stout or something, right? We need some beers. Yeah. <laughs> some winter beers. Yeah, and, uh, of course, we've had our series of whiskeys, so we've had uh, um, the most recent one was the Chadwick. The first one was the... Blue um, Bunch. The Blue Bunch, yeah, exactly. So we're we're due for a new one there, too. So um, we've been working hard on that behind the scenes. It's been a little bit quiet lately, but uh, we'll have something for the winter season, I, I, I anticipate, so... Yeah, those are good. Yeah, and it's such a cool fundraiser, right? Because uh, we're raising money for wild sheep, and um, and that, like, I've I've collected them. I've got uh, I, d- I bought a few of them, and they seem to be going up in value <laughs> too. Um, what they were selling for a buck and a quarter, I think, initially, and uh, the last two sold at auction for four hundred, I think. So um, yeah, that was crazy in Canada this year. That was unreal. Yeah, but we sold one at the chapter and affiliates. Yep. What did that one sell for? Do you remember what it went for? I think it was, I think, I think it was six US, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think it was Craig Nakamoto that bought it. Yeah, the Nakamotos picked it up, Craig or Kyle or somebody, and yeah, yeah. No, Kyle bought it for his dad for his birthday. Is that what it was? <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty good refreshment for sure. It's uh, they're tasty and each one's unique. Um, that was one of the things with the Chadwick. It was pretty close to the. Uh, um, the Blue Bunch, when it first came out, we're like, no, 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 we need to tweak this and worked closely with uh, Okanagan Spirits, uh, who uh, we work with on that project. And yeah, it was turned out really good. So. Yeah, they've all been popular. Chadwick sold out really quick too, so. <coughs> yeah. I think I got a couple. I got one bottle of Blue Bunch left and I told the wife she couldn't drink it. She she likes that one. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, maybe I should go get us one right now <laughs> on on the rocks. So That's not a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it we'll leads, leads to trouble. <laughs> as you say, but I digress. <laughs> That's my favorite term of yours. Yeah. I love it, so. Um, so, you know, th- we always talk about different stuff. Um, usually it's project centric and wild sheep BC stuff. And of course we'd be remiss not to talk about that, but, uh, you've got such a rich background in hunting and, uh, I'm kind of curious to hear the early days. I remember your first hunt. I heard it on, uh, beyond the kill. So anyone that hasn't listened to that podcast, <laughs> I laugh my ass off for 45 minutes, listening to your first sheep hunt. Um, but, uh, you know, you you came over from the U- you were born and raised in the UK right and then came over to Canada is that correct yeah yeah I lived in the UK till I was eleven years old um, basically in the middle of England uh, born I was born in York and uh, we lived in a place called Ripley just outside of Nottingham Robin Hood maybe that's why I'm a bow hunter <laughs> um, but yeah moved over moved to Prince George and um, 
spent a year and a half there and then ended up in the Okanagan. So what was your first hunt? Like, cause your dad wasn't a hunter, right? Like he wasn't, he wasn't an outdoor guy. Like he's a, he's a business guy. So how does, how does that work? How does Chris go from a young 11 year old coming to Canada and then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're a pretty, pretty, a very decorated mountain hunter. So talk about that evolution. Started off with fishing. Uh, my grandfather, um, when we were in England, we used to go fish, fish on the dams. <coughs> so he'd take me fishing and we'd head up to, uh, Dam Flask, where they filmed the Dam Busters. So anybody knows that old movie. Um, we went used to fish up there, and we'd fish up there. And was, I remember a story. We always go, used to go up there, and he'd have sandwiches, and he'd have a flask of tea, and we'd have a tea. And in England, they use maggots for bait. So I was drinking my tea. And I don't know how old I was. I must have been six or seven. And I get to the bottom of my cup, and there's a <laughs> maggot in the bottom of my tea. Yes, <laughs> my grandfather dropped one while he was beating the hooks. <laughs> this maggot whirling around in my tea. <laughs> it's funny how you remember silly little stories like that, eh? Mm. But, uh, yeah, it started off fishing, and then when we came, you know, moved to the Okanagan, uh, the guys I hang around with, we were all fishing. We all fly fished, and um, same thing. You just head out after work up to the mountains, do some fishing, grab some beers, and... There's a few nights we probably shouldn't have been driving home, but uh, <laughs> it was it was good fun. It was a really good group of guys, and um, we were pretty close knit. So it was probably six or seven of us, and we just kind of just interate and started. You know, we were fishing, and then Rod was a hunter. They lived out in Lavington, and that's how I was hanging out with with Rod, and he's the one that kind of got me into hunting right off the bat. So. Um, ended up getting a gun, and I think the first animal I shot was a mule deer. But we were doing bird hunting too, so kind of the bir fishing, bird hunting, and then then the deer process. So. so you were just a young, like a teenager back then, or was it you were kind of in your late teens, early twenties, kind of working for a living when you were doing this stuff? Or? Early twenties is when I started hunting, so we kind of just fished, and you know, mid teens to twenties, and then started hunting in the twenties. And really, our first big trip was. Um, you know, the Kootenays were big. There was lots of elk in the Kootenays. And um, Rod's brother-in-law, um, Doug Field, he lived up in, uh, he came to Vernon. <coughs> he lived and then he went back to a place called Ground Birch, just south of Dawson Creek. And um, Doug invited us up. He goes, well, instead of going to the Kootenays, why don't you guys come up here and go moose hunting with us? Me and Rod say, yeah, okay, whatever. And we kind of figured this was this big es escapade to travel up to Dawson Creek. It took us two days to drive away there, drive up the first time. And we had a trailer, we had a camper, and it was just like a big ordeal because we were going north. And then we did that once. It's like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> After that, it was a one-day drive. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we head up there, and we were successful on our first moose hunting trip. And we shot a couple of moose, and then I just digressed. And Doug was really into hunting as well. So the three of us really connected, and we were all good you know, like, you know, we were talking on, um, not Sheep Week, but uh, with Blake and his son on uh, Spike Camp. Yeah. About, and we were talking about hunting partners, and, you know, I said I've been really fortunate with hunting partners, and that was really true when I started off hunting. Hunting with Rod and Doug was, it was fun, and, yeah, we just had, we had a lot of great trips. So that first moose hunt, were you guys truck hunting or were you guys on horseback or what do you guys, uh, how did you end up doing, killing your moose? Um, so at that time, there wasn't a lot as many seismic lines around uh, ground birch as there is now. And Doug used to hunt the moose licks. So they used to have some tree stands. And um, we went out and 
we were sitting in a tree stand and uh, I think we spent the night, the one night, and then uh, Roddy went up in the morning. He went out. We all kind of walked out and Rod shot his moose um, that day. And then I think I shot mine that evening. The moose came into the lick and then... So we quartered him up and let him out, and then we went back out. Doug had one horse at the time, and he goes, well, we can pack the meat out with the horse, but he said, you guys are going to have to pack the hides and the and the horns out. So he goes, the horse isn't doing it. You're going to you're gonna earn your medal because you got easy moose. So we had to backpack the hides out. Huh. Cool. So, yeah, we got, uh, we got a few trips before we went up there two or three times, and Doug had a couple of horses, his dad had some horses, and we kept bugging Doug, like, we really wanted to go to the mountains by horseback, so that was, that was the transgression, I guess. So, with that, Doug was the gateway for that, he was the guy with the horseback, or was, so did you guys, did you guys start buying horses through him, or did he have the horses, how did that work? Originally, so Doug had a couple of horses, um, and he said, you know what, before you guys go to the mountains, we're going to go do a bear hunt, and obviously there's another story here with this one but uh, <laughs> um doug says yeah come on up we'll go do a spring bear hunt um we'll pack up a couple of horses we'll ride out and we'll see how that goes and see if you guys are ready to go on a, a two-week trip to the mountains so we, you're not fully committed and basically we just rode from doug's house out back through the pasture and, and we were just camping we we're just heading out to elliot's cabin so it was a i think it was a couple of days ride and we uh we headed out and uh of course, me being young and dumb, I had to, oh, I'll bring my hound. So we uh, we rode out. I had my hound. His name was Hoss at the time. <laughs> and uh, we were riding out, and we got into this one-cut block, and there's a bear out there. And Doug and Rod goes, well, we'll just keep riding this way. I said, I'll just ride up a little bit closer. And, of course, the uh, dog takes off, chases the bear. Then he comes running back. The bear's chasing the dog. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I think it was a bit of a rodeo. I don't think I got bucked off. I just remember and all Doug says, "Stupid fucking dogs." <laughs> so it kind of goes on with what everybody knows about me, right? <laughs> the bit of adventure that comes with it. Yeah, yeah. So it's never easy with you. There's dogs, horses, bow, archery hunter. So, um. So you end up getting a bear on that trip, or what happened? I didn't actually end up, I didn't shoot anything on that trip, but Rod shot a really good black bear coming. So about, uh, I think it was the last day we were riding back to Doug's place, and Rod shot a really good black bear on the edge of the river. Okay. I think it was, uh, I don't know if it made, I think it may have made BC Buck, was it like a seven-foot bear, really big black bear, so. So did that hook you um, with the, the horse hunting? or And I, I've never had the, and I grew up on a cattle ranch and did a lot of riding, and so for, I've got a bit of a disdain for horses from time to time. Uh, I'll admit that my dad didn't always have the best stock around, but uh, so does it, you know, is that different? Is that, I know there's a romance around horses in the back country and stuff, and did it catch you that way or, you know, could you take it or leave it? Do you want to do it again? How does that work for you? Uh, yeah, it was funny, me and Rod were talking about it. We've talked about it the last couple of years and that uh, we both miss it. I'm pretty sure Doug misses it too. Um, we did it for 20 years. We did a horse trip every year for 20 years. And we haven't done one probably for almost 15 to 20 years now. And uh, yeah, you miss the sounds, miss the smells, miss all of that nuance. And like you said, the romance piece, it's, um, I think if you read some of the old books, you know, Scoop Davidson and 
you know, those those famous outfitters and some of those guys that went, uh, you know, Leo Rutledge. <clears throat> they all had those big pack horses and the pack trains. Um, you know, I was trying to find, I haven't found the book yet, but there was a guy that used to come out of Fort, uh, where is it? Fort St. James. His name's Cataline. And he used to run 100 pack horses up through to Fort Ware. Hmm. And it come from Fort St. James. So those kind of those romantic pieces. But yeah, it's a, to me, it's the only way. It's that classic hunt I think everybody romanticizes about, and maybe it's Jack O'Connor pieces of that. But yeah, it's. Uh, I'm glad I did it. Um, I'd love to do it again. Um, but it's a working holiday. You're looking after the horses. You're packing the horses up, and yeah, there's a whole bunch of stories when we first went to the mountains. So <laughs> you just about die a few times out there. With, uh, um. Probably more from stupidity, but we always had fun. I think that's probably what it was. It was just fun. But yeah, I mean, we were, the first year we went, me and Doug went by ourselves. We didn't have a lot of horses, so it wasn't too, too bad. Um, and then the following year, Rod came with us again. And then we were short. <coughs> I think the first time we went, I'm trying to remember how many horses. I think it was probably six or eight horses. And the first time we went, I think they were all Doug's horses. So some were pretty green um some weren't quite broke um so it was a few rodeos going in but then as we started to go more we you know we were up to 12 horses on our trip because it takes basically a moose is three horses right and elk you can get out on two so packing all that meat so we we kind of figured that piece out <coughs> so we started taking more horses had more not as much gear, but we learned, you know, pack smarter. So, you know, the first the first few trips we'd go, and I can remember our top packs being ridiculous, like they were a foot, two, well, two feet off the top of the panniards. And it's just like rolling around here, and then they roll off the side of the horse, and then the horse is having a shit show, and he's bucking all over, and your shit scattered everywhere. And <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think uh, it was a standing joke after a while. We had uh, we used to go into uh, into the Bessa, so we'd go on through the bucking horse. And where we parked the truck, there used to be a, a creek that was washed out, so you had to ride through it. ATVs could get through. And um, we all had a joke. Here's, are we going to have a rodeo before we get across that creek, right? <laughs> <laughs> and usually a rodeo meant it wasn't one. It was like three horses, and there's shit everywhere. So we'd be repacking horses. So it takes what should took you know take you probably three quarters of a day. It takes a full day. Sometimes we were late, and yeah, it was a, it was an adventure. We learned a lot. <laughs> so when you're packing like that, did you have more of the amenities at home? Like, did you have a good, you know, uh, wall tent and carry booze with you and all the good food, or did you still go pretty lightweight on that stuff? No, we were pretty. We had it kind of you know like I said, once we started going in, we got it pretty dialed in. Doug was pretty good. He was a really good mentor for us to kind of, you know, he'd been going with his dad on some horse trips. So it wasn't too bad that way. It was more our gear. So we learned how to dial in our gear, what we needed for clothes, what we didn't need for clothes. And that brought our top packs down. Um, but food-wise, you know, we always had bacon and eggs pretty well almost for the whole trip. Um, take a bit of canned stuff. And then, you know, hopefully we'd shoot something so we had meat. So we kind of had all that stuff. We had a wall tent. We had a stove. Um, so, yeah, we had all the amenities. Um, didn't really rough it too much. Mm. Yeah. Is there anyone that 
runs pack strings that will take guys in the like is a, a packer that is there a packer anymore in bc i don't even know so who who was it at a souk was it um so guy scott used to run the riverboat okay so guy had the riverboat okay yeah, and yeah. then there was um i'm trying to remember his name the fu- guy from i think he's out mckenzie way he shot the stone sheep with the bow it was a world record for a while blue oh what was his name he rents pack horses okay and then I think, I'm not sure if the guy running out of Tetsa is still running pack horses, so you can get on a horse, do a horse trip with him out of Tetsa, right. and then run in towards Toshody that way. So Jason and Colin, those guys, they run pack strings. Do they have their own horses? Or they, you know, they, they, I guess they must have their own pack string. They run like like Dave Marsh used to hunt with those guys and stuff, and they'd, they'd horse back in, so. Yeah, I don't know if they rented them or if they actually had their own horses. I mean, the advantage that we had was Doug lived in Ground Birch and he had a bunch of land. So, you know, but when we were really, when we were going heavy, he had up to 25, 30 head of horses. Plus he had three girls, so they right. all had horses, so. Yeah. And, and does he have that stuff anymore? Or is no, he's, um, I don't know if he's even got any horses left anymore. Okay. Um, like if we were going to go back to the mountains, we'd be back to the rodeos and some, some really sore <laughs> bones instead of some young bones. You think you'll ever do it again? I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Definitely miss it. Um, yeah, no, it was good. I mean, and once we got going, we'd, we we were taking our green horses and we'd come back and we'd take the girls' horses and we'd break them and they'd come back and then they, the girls would sell the horses and all of a sudden people were giving those they're giving their horses to us to take to the mountains so they come back broke huh that's cool or green broke anyway so you know we could pack them going in and then once they're a bit tired we can kind of jump on them and start riding them around the mountains and they learn pretty quick when they're tired yeah it was interesting i was uh did a fly-in trip there last year and we ran into the um the guide and he was uh he had run a pack string and we were we were camped along the river. We'd come off the mountain, we're camped along the river and uh he came by in his pack string and uh so and eventually we caught up with him. They they stopped broke stopped for camp for the night and we caught up to him and we the spot where we were gonna camp too and so we shared camp with him, we asked if they minded and really, really good three really good dudes and um the wrangler and the two guides and uh, got chatting with them. But they said that where they were and I'm not gonna mention the outfit, but they leave the ma- the horses like they're wild horses. They go and they there's some that they can catch every year, and then you know they're all kind of hanging around together and they catch them and they're green breaking these things in the in the summertime. And so you know it's a bit of a rodeo too. The first because some of them have never been in the mount, they could have been in a, a string before. So I was blown away that they they just leave them there. They just they yeah. they live and die there. Like they don't trail them in and trail them out. So yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, and that comes back to almost to those old West days, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, almost like John Wayne. I think a lot of that John, you know, John Wayne kind of was probably a hero to a lot of us potentially. Yeah. Um, and just watching watching those movies, I think probably that's where a lot of it comes from. Right. Yeah. Pretty cool. So let's just uh, move a, a little forward here and talk a little bit about your first mountain hunt uh, for sheep or like goats or whatever. I, I think you talked about that you did a fly-in trip and it was a bit of a bit of a shit show um was that your first hunt in the mountains for sheep or um i'm just trying to recall I, that's the one i think i heard about on the journal yeah that so. was there that was our first mountain hunt that was there yeah we i can't remember if we'd done a horse trip yet or if we were 
I can't remember. I'd have to go back to some of my my stories there because I used to write stories for a bit. But um, we ended up. We flew into uh, into Tetsa Lake, and um, where our plan was to hike towards over towards Toshodi. And uh, so we flew in out of Fort Nelson and got into Tetsa. It wasn't a big flight, and um, we were flying in, and we got in, and we were going along, and we started to hike off. There was a couple other guys that were already in there. They were flying out in a couple of days. Um, so we figured, well, we didn't see them when we landed. We could see their camp on the lake. So we started hiking up the valley, and we didn't see them hiking up the valley. And we kind of got towards two-thirds of the way up the valley, and uh, Doug sole and his hiking boots came off. And um, we said, well, there's no way we're going to be able to go across the top of the mountain with the, with the sole off his hiking boot. We knew these guys were flying out in two days, so we thought, well, we'll go back to the lake and see if Doug had relatives in Nelson, so they were going to see if they could fly him a pair of hiking boots in and <laughs> we could go from there. So we, on the way back down to the lake, ran into a caribou and ended up shooting this caribou. I think it was the only legal one in the valley, so we get back down to the lake with this caribou, and these guys are back at the lake, and they were coming over, and they were checking out the caribou, and they were looking at it, and they didn't really say anything at first. They were fairly friendly, but <laughs> turns out they were COs. Oh. And uh, there was one legal bull and one illegal bull, so they were making sure we'd shot the legal bull. So um, Urs flew in. He flew those guys out. <coughs> Doug sent a message out, and um, he got some Adidas hiking boots and Adidas hiking boots. Adidas hiking boots. Seriously, yeah. like are they runners? They were like I don't know. They were like a high top. I don't know if they were a hiking boot. They weren't. They like, were like boxing boots or something. <laughs> like yeah, pretty much. But uh, he flew those in, and then so we'd lost I think three or four days by then. Um, so Urs flew us over to Toshodi Lakes, um, and that's where we. C- we kind of frayed that out, got the shoes in, and then we said, well, where the hell do we go from here? And we just kind of hiked up one of these drainages, and we, of course, we picked the shittiest route. We had nowhere. We had maps, and it's like we're looking at it. It's like it's not like the day with the, you know, Google Earth and all that stuff. So we figured out, well, we'll go up this draw, and <coughs> we went up there, and we forked out a couple of times. We didn't see anything. We thought, I think we saw some elk, and I didn't think we saw any moose or anything. So we we got up. Partway up the valley, and um, there was a tent there, and but there was nobody there. And that's um, we found out, found out later that was when the uh, outfitters and the packers were having that big uh, lawsuit, and the packers had to get out of the bush. So this wall tent sitting there. So we said, "Oh, well, you know what? We'll we'll camp in the wall tent, and may as well live in a little bit of comfort." So we kind of camped out of there and hiked out of there every day, and came back to the tent, and then uh, came back in, and the packer. We came back and the packer showed up and um, helped him pack up his tent. He was a pretty, pretty good shit. So um, he says, "Well, you could try that spot there, or whatever or that spot there." And so we decided, "Well, the next day we'll give it one more shot." So we hiked up this valley in the, our tent. So this is the funny part of the story, like first mountain trip, right? So we had wool pants, felt pack boots, all in a backpack. <laughs> Canadian tire tent. It was supposed to be a three man. Doug's six foot two. <laughs> <laughs> Roddy's the same size as me. I'm I'm five eleven, six feet, and Roddy's the same. So there's three of us sleeping in this tent, right? <laughs> <laughs> On the side of this mountain. In the middle of the night, 
the drawstrings flapping around. It's like, what the hell's going on? And like, is it fucking caribou? Is it a grizzly bear? So I think Doug got up and went around and I couldn't see anything. So it's like we all went back to sleep. <laughs> got up the next morning and uh, there's sheep right there. So <laughs> I think it's just horse shit luck, right? We ended up shooting two rams that day. Um, I ended up shooting mine down where they were and then the other ram went up top and Doug got him on the top on the side of the mountain and got him down and so we hiked back down and we had our two sheep so the three of us packed the two sheep out and we left our I think we left our felt packs for the porcupine because they came in and raided camp and stole our socks <laughs> <laughs> so they stole all the rod socks and there's a trail of socks up the mountain he buggers off one and after we come back from hunting and he's following these trail of socks and comes back and he's got like six pairs of socks in his hand. <laughs> uh, so we we got that. We got back the sheep. So we went back down t down to the lake and I think we had one or two days before Urz was picking us up and um, we're in the tent. Me and Roddy are laying there and um, Doug was up. I think he was making coffee or something and he comes back to the tent. He goes, you guys want to get a moose? Said, sure, just meat, right? <laughs> that was our first mountain hunt. So we got a caribou, a moose, and two sheep. Wow, sounds pretty rough. Yeah, wool pants, felt packs, shitty backpacks, three-man Canadian tire tent. And not if really knowing what you're doing. <laughs> and if it had rained, we'd have been screwed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So was that, you getting your first sheep like that, was that the hook for you? and um, Or just was it just kind of an evolution? Like, I guess you were already hooked on the on the backpack or on the on the horse stuff and already the, the mountain hunting but did did anything change for you with sheep with that was it it's funny because i think i'd always been fascinated with sheep for whatever reason i don't know why um like i think one of those podcasts earlier too i remember flying to penticton over okanagan mountain park and i'm thinking there should be sheep down there and i didn't really know any better at that time and you know, like coming full circle, transplanting sheep into Okanagan Mountain Park after the fire. So I think I always had a curiosity about sheep. I just didn't really know what it was. Um, and I think it just grew. I think that conservation piece grew from the Elk Foundation piece to when we got in, when I got into the Sheep Society stuff. And then I think it just evolved even more. But I think I'd already shot that first ram. So it was just, it was that evolution, trying to learn where sheep were, where they are in the province and that secretive knowledge piece that uh, every sheep hunter has. Yeah, the, the the code, cracking the code. Cracking the code. So your first one was um, stone sheep, and then what did you end up shooting next? What was your next? And that first one was obviously with a f rifle. Yeah. But at some point you picked up a bow and started hunting with bow too. Yeah, so I think after we'd shot those rams is actually probably the year or two after that I switched to a bow pretty well full-time at that point and what precipitated that just a bigger challenge bigger challenge yeah i think um you know like i say fortunate enough to be able to harvest animals with a gun and it just i don't want to say it was easy i just i feel i was fortunate with a gun and it was i think i just wanted i guess i just wanted that challenge maybe i'm not really sure what it was it was just archery was it was cool it was unique and just to get that much closer to to be that much more in tune with an animal and watching what it's doing and trying to outsmart, outwit. Um, 
you know, whereas with a gun, you're 200 yards away, you're still doing the same thing, but it's just more refined when you get into 80 yards, 60 yards, 40 yards kind of thing. And I think we was kind of, all three of us were into archery at that time. We were doing 3D shoots. It was just a bit of an evolution, I think. But then to take it from the 3D shoots to the hunting piece, and like I say, I was really fortunate with my bow to harvest quite a few animals with my bow. So I think that just just drove it even more to to keep striving to keep doing that. So, what did you end up? What was the first thing you shot with a bow? Uh, holy smokes! Good question, Kyle. I'm not a hundred percent, buddy. Um, not a big deal, but just uh, probably a moose. Is that right? Yeah, I think a moose. Um, one of our horse trips um, rode into the Bessa, and we rode right up to the head of Keeley Creek. So the furthest place from the truck to shoot a moose. And, of course, Doug's dad's giving a shit when we come back. He goes, if you shoot a fucking moose up there. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we come back, and we got a moose on the horse. Um, you know, one of those, another silly one. But uh, it was kind of, we knew there was, there was supposed to be sheep and goats up at the head of Keeley. So we, or not the head, the head of the Bessa. So we rode up there. There was me, Doug, and Rod. We only had one pack horse. Same thing, rode up there. And I think all I had, I, all I had was my bow. Um, Doug had a gun. We got up there. We rode all day. We got up, we set up a camp, and we're just kind of getting hunkered down. It was still fairly laid out. And then all of a sudden, this moose just kind of ran down, just right there on, right on the river in front of us. And, so I snuck down and got into the willows and I think I was probably 30, 40 yards from him and he's making a wallow and he's down on his knees and then he's pissing and grunting and it's like, I'm sticking there with my looking at my bow going, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, finally there was a willow so I couldn't shoot him right off the bat so I was kind of there for a little bit and then he took one step forward and... Uh, I was fortunate enough to get a shot. I think I shot he was 30 yards and um, shot him, and he just kind of ran, and he, I think he only went like 40, 50 yards, and a big bull moose down. So it's like, like I said, with four horses, like I said, we need three horses to pack a moose, right? So yeah. I think I had a back, did I have my backpack? I can't remember what we had on. We had one or two backpacks, one pack horse. Unfortunately, it was... Uh, spud doug's nemesis but he was a big tough bastard and um i think we loaded i think he had the hinds what did we throw on him hinds and back straps maybe it was hinds and fronts on the horse and then, or, and then yeah we had neck meat back straps on our backpacks on the horse so we had them tied around the the saddle horn then i had doug Doug's backpack I had the moose horns in the backpack, so I was riding on the horse with the moose horns. So you really, you really learn to appreciate how a moose runs through the bush when he's got horns. Oh, no doubt it. Rubbing off branches and shit. So yeah, that was the first animal. Was that was that moose on one of our horse trips? Huh. So, and then we just kept, you know, we kept doing that, and we kept. Uh, so they were kind of mountain hunts. They were more horseback hunts. They weren't really. You know, the backpack hunts that we do, you know, for sheep and goats and that kind of thing. But 
Um, you know, Roddy shot a sheep on one of our horse trips. Doug shot a sheep on one of our horse trips. Peter did. Um, we ended up shooting some moose and some elk over the years, and it was always it was always good fun. I remember, uh, you know, we rode into one valley, and I think there was ten moose, ten bull moose in that valley. Wow. It was just crazy. We ended up shooting three of them that day, but uh, I remember we had a buddy named Robbie with us, and he, he was a pretty good cowboy, and he's, he goes, I'm going to lasso one of those. <laughs> he takes off at a gallop with a lasso, and we're all shaking. Right? He goes, what the fuck are you going to do if you lasso it? <laughs> and I think partway through, he's getting close, and he realizes, what am I going to do? Because he's just going to pull his horse over, right? So yeah, he didn't. He didn't end up last week, but yeah, we had every horse taking that moose meat off that mountain. Wow, that one trip, yeah, yeah. So the freezers were full that year, and then we had a couple of midnight horse. We'd always have a horse race at some part part in time, so we'd race the horses up the airstrip, and usually it's coming back late at night, and you're kind of getting close. And the horses know, like after a few times, the horses are you're getting close to the airstrip, and they, you can just feel their steps, right? And as soon as you step on the runway of that land, they're the landing strip there so it's like <laughs> full-on gallop down there taking off yeah. taking off yeah. Huh. yeah yeah tossed off a few times of course we always had that joke about getting bucked off and stuff and that guy I remember uh we were sitting up i think we were calling elk or we were sitting on a bluff somewhere and doug uh it was a standing joke if you get bucked off and I don't remember exactly what it was going to cost you, but Doug never really got tossed off a horse because he was a pro horseman. But uh, we were sitting on this knob, and we're all sitting on our horses, and Doug decided to take his leg over and wrap it over top of his horn. And as soon as he did that, I guess the horse saw his foot on the other side of <laughs> the horse butt. <laughs> He's on the ground. <laughs> Both me and Roddy, that's a buck off. <laughs> Yeah, he slid off in a creek once, and yeah, Roddy slid off the front of the neck in the river. I got tossed a few times. I remember going off. We were racing through a meadow one night, and um, the horse got a front foot caught on a willow branch, and she went down on her knees, and I just went off the front of her, <laughs> front front end, full gallop, <laughs> rolled over, get back up, get off, laughing her heads off, huh. young and dumb. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So you, what was your first sheep hunt with the, where you killed a sheep with a bow then? What was that? So I guess that comes back to um, kind of the second sheep trip I did. It was a riverboat trip. So I I went out with Guy Scott and uh, went with Guy. The first year we went, his boat was having issues. So I didn't end up... um, making it up the river. We made it part way up the river, but didn't end up actually going sheep hunt. So I came back the following year. So the following year came back and I was towing a boat up for Guy and um, Mike Mike Southern and Ken Hamer were coming on the same hunt. Never, So none of the three of us had ever met. And so the first time we met was in the bar in Fort Nelson. And you guys, so you guys met because you were packing in with, you were boating in with Guy. Like that's, all, that was the connection. The that was the connection. Okay. None of us had met. We okay. were all going, guy was running us up. He was packing us up the river and then we were backpacking in the mountains. And, um, so I packed a bow and I packed a gun 
but I didn't know. It was like, whatever, I'm taking a gun on a bow. If I can get one with my bow, I'm going to shoot it with my bow. So, so but just a question for you. The three of you guys, were were you hunting together? Like, that was, because you didn't know each other. So were you going on a solo trip, and then the guy was going to drop the three of you off at yeah. the same place? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. That's what it was. And then um, I don't think Ken and Mike had met, had met either, so... They drove up together, so they knew each other driving up. So okay, they kind of well, we all hit it off. It was like it's like I said, having lucky to get hunting partners that, that you end up with, right? And uh, so yeah, and all three of us hiked up, and so I'm packing a gun and a bow, and and we got up to kind of where we were going to get into sheep hunting. Mike goes, well, if you want to use my gun, you can use my gun and stash your us gun. So I stuffed my gun under a log, and we went and hoofed her into the mountains and uh, Mike shot his ram um, I th think on opening day actually and then Ken shot his on so Ken had gone on a different there was a couple of mountains fairly close so Ken had gone up this other mountain he shot his ram up there and then me and Mike had gone this other way and Mike shot his ram so we got the sheep back and then we were heading back back down and uh, went back I think we camped that night, and then there was there was a mountain kind of on the way out. So <clears throat> me and Mike, I think Ken had packed quite a bit of the meat down, and then me and Mike had, um, we'll go up this mountain. So we went up the mountain and had my bow. We ran into some rams again, and uh, I couldn't get close enough with the bow the way they were bedded, so I ended up shooting that one with the rifle. But the following year, so we got three rams on that trip, and then the following year we went again, and... Uh, that was a story I, I told on Spike Camp. That was the first uh, sheep with my bow was that stone sheep when Ken was sitting on that uh, Boone and Crockett ram for a few hours while I was messing around with my bow. Yeah, that's a pretty cool story. Tell that one about, uh, I know some of the listeners have heard that, but tell that one because that's worth it. Yeah, so that was, you know, our second trip up and it was in the same area and we decided, you know what, we're, we're not going to hunt these frontal mountains. We're going to go deeper, so we... We decided we are going deeper, so it was a day's backpack in, and then we camped in the bottom of the mountain and hoofed her up, and um, we got on top of the mountain. So we were probably two days in, so it might have been day after opening day. I think we got up in the morning, and uh, we'd spotted some rams kind of over to the, to the right of us, and then there were some other rams over to the left of us. <clears throat> but we had to walk around the bowl instead of going down through the valley. We stayed on top so we kind of just walked around the whole rim and looked at these these other sheep that we'd seen in the morning nothing nothing legal so we kept kept going and as we got over um there was some rams down the hill there was like three or four rams and a mountain goat all bedded together and one of them was well over the bridge in the nose so i said well i'll, I'll go down after that and then um, right at the same time kenny spotted this other ram kind of up on top but it was out of sight from where i needed to go down so he goes well that's a good ram i'm going to go after that ram so <clears throat> ken went over he sat on the ram and he's watching that ram and we didn't know how big he was at the time and um so i kind of came down the mountain got above on a little bluff above these uh, above the sheep and the goat came out the one direction kind of looked at me and then he kind of just he didn't spook or anything and then the rams kind of came out and the one ram came out and but then i didn't have a rangefinder; it was all <laughs> guesstimation <laughs> and uh 
I sh what did I shot? He was probably 40 yards, and I shot just behind him, or just below him. And um, so he kind of just didn't even know I was there. It didn't there was just like noise in the grass. So he kind of just bolted 10 yards. I said, okay, now I know how far you are. And he was kind of quartered really hard away. So I ended up shooting him kind of back, back of the liver, just behind the ribs. And then the arrow went forward. So I shot, got a, got an arrow in him with that one. And then I shot another one. I think the second one missed. The third one finished him off. But I only carry five arrows in my quiver. So I came back. I think my quiver is empty. The boys were laughing at me. But uh, I think I had one arrow left. But um, but then, as, yeah, as soon as I shot my round with the bow, Ken shot this other ram. And um, it was a Boone and Crockett ram. It went 172. Wow. And um, so we had two sheep down again. And. So we quartered them up, backpacked them up. We made it down into the bottom. There was no way we were making it back to, uh, to uh, you know, kind of where we wanted to be. So we kind of just got on the bottom of the valley, and there was we didn't. I think we were out of food actually because we'd stashed some food. So we read all we had was sheep meat, and um, we got a fire going. We had some older branches, and we're cooking up sheep meat. So we had a pretty good feed. I think we had some salt and pepper, but um, I think Kenny was allergic to the. Uh, to the alder sticks or something. Okay. And his, his lips swelled <laughs> up. His throat was, he could barely breathe. And it's like, you got to be allergic. He said, don't worry, Kenny, we can stick a, we'll cut a hole in your throat so you can breathe. He just told us where to go. So he's like, because there's nothing we, like, what the hell are we going to do from out there? Yeah. So, but uh, in the morning he was fine. We got some water, we got hydrated and, uh, we we hiked out of that. We got to this other spot where we'd stashed our food. Then same thing, Kenny decided he took all of his. So this is how tough he is, Kenny. He took all of his ram and probably half of my meat and took that back down to the river, down to the Musqua. Mm-hmm. I was like, Jesus. And so so me and Mike, we come. we got back to our stash and said, well, we'll go up go up to this other mountain and come back. We'd seen some sheep there um, the day before, but we we're on the, already on the other mountain, so we'll go back up there. So we kind of hiked up this hog back, got up on top, and we're kind of right on top, probably halfway around the mountain top, and looked down, there's a couple of rams, and it was run, real big pig-nosed broomed-off ram, and then there's this other one with lamb tips. And... Uh, Mike got on him and he, he got that ram. The, the freaking bugs were so bad. I remember we were gutting him up and quartering him up and Mike's just fucking, he's having a spaz because the bugs are so bad on his face. <laughs> so he was just going nuts. So we managed to get that one done and got him off the mountain, got back to where we, uh, where we had our food stashed. And I think we got back and had a, had a bath and, kind of got cleaned up and that's where the Mike had his tie diet underwear because <laughs> he spun them around <laughs> a couple of times but they were they had this nice tie dye pat on the back of them. <laughs> some wet farts going on <laughs> oh, man. so yeah we uh we got out and we were uh hiking back and we got to where the outfitter's cabin in and the uh the cook was there and she was just heading down with a couple of horses and uh we both had pretty decent packs, and she goes, oh, I'll, I'll throw them on the horses. The horses are empty, so we got back back there, threw our backpacks on the horses, and she walked them off the mountain for us, so 
We didn't t- we didn't tell Kenny for a, for a year or two there. <laughs> He's <laughs> carrying one and a half sheep. <laughs> you guys are carrying nothing. <laughs> yeah. So we didn't tell him for a couple of years that uh, we had an easy trip off the mountain with our packs. <laughs> so. So yeah, that was that was that trip. That was that was you know. So we had two years of really you know really good trips, and um, that just cemented that friendship and you know that hunting partners. I ended up we hunted. I, Kenny lives in Camel River, and uh, I hunted cats with him probably for ten, twelve years. He used to take my dogs in the winter because I couldn't run them all the time from work, with work, but he'd he'd run them in the winter. And, mm. and like I said, me and Mike still hunt together to this day. And yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah. So you've done, you've done the jet boating, you've done the horseback, and so usually you do you know, all the hard stuff when you're young, and then you get older and you do like the horseback stuff. But you guys, you guys do the easy stuff. I'm not saying it's easy, but so now you're doing the hardcore backpack stuff. You did a fly-in trip, and you know you guys did some pretty serious miles last year. I, I know, and I know you got another trip planned this year. So you're doing the backpack stuff now, and. Um, just is it just kind of the circumstances um that you're doing it that way or just the way it works out or um just the way i guess like we said there's not really a lot of you know you can't get horses these days that's hard to get and even uh, there's still river jet adventures obviously um they're still running uh, so there's options there but um is there one that you do you you like the backpack option or what's what's your thoughts yeah it's fun i i I think the you know it's the same thing i was you know no, my you know one of the mottos: no pain, no gain. Right. So I think you've got to put the effort in to get the reward, and those rewards, I think, as you get older, change. You know, when you're younger, you're very keen to harvest an animal. Um, you're motivated to harvest that animal. Um, and these days, you know, I almost feel like we're greenpeacers because we're just out there hiking around. But at least we've got a gun and a bow in our hands. But um, you know. To get an animal, we're looking for a specific animal. We're looking for an older, mature animal. Um, you know, we've touched on some of that stuff probably with your other podcasts and stuff, but about harvesting those mature rams, those 10-year-old rams, let those other rams bring the herd, um, try and keep that maturity to the herds. Um, so, yeah, you know, we're looking for for something good. Um, obviously, I'm not as particular if I'm going to harvest enough. I want one really nice stone sheep with my bow even though I've shot one. Um, I was fortunate enough to go on a doll sheep hunt. Um, didn't end up shooting my doll with the bow, but uh, we were for, you know, they, we had them at 40 yards. And um, for whatever reason, they kind of spooked out of there. I got a couple of shots with my bow, but it was like 80 yards. Um, so I ended up shooting them with the, with the guide's gun. Um, shot my doll so that was that was a really cool trip in the territories it's a territory hunt yeah with who oh. uh, with ganna river okay and yeah. was harold running it back then was he yeah harold was my guide oh okay cool yeah and he really, owned it yeah he just bought time. it off of bill okay so yeah. it was kind of bill we just booked the hunts when bill was handing it over to harold what he what were the hunts going for back then um so my doll sheep hunt i booked a caribou hunt for 7500 and i think my kill fee for the doll sheep was 35 so you're 11 grand for both for and what kind of class caribou did you kill did you i kill didn't, a didn't shoot a caribou because okay. i just went to the we just went for the doll sheep that was kind of we'd already told harold to you know i wanted to shoot a sheep so right um but it was in a spot that harold really didn't hunt sheep 
So it wasn't as normal sheep country. There were sheep there, but Mike was after a moose. Okay. So we were kind of in a moose camp, and we just spike camped out. So I think I shot my doll on maybe day... We flew in. Maybe day two. Okay. Two or three, something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a fun trip. And then we went caribou hunting. We didn't see much for caribou, but... Um, but yeah, it was, that was a really cool trip. Territories are spectacular. Is that right? Eh? Somebody had an Instagram post today about the Mackenzie Mountains, and uh, it may have been Rachel. Or uh, it's either Rachel or Adam, I can't remember, but Foss. But um, I was just looking at the mountains. It's like, yeah, it's a freaking gorgeous place. Yeah. Yeah. I need to go back. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool, for sure. Yeah. So for your evolution into sort of. Well, talk talk about this. You've talked about this before, but for our listeners, we haven't talked about it on our podcast. Talk about the the evolution of the hunter, like the the new hunter versus the you know the mature old hunter. I think I think we kind of just kind of touched on it a bit, but I think yeah, I know. You know, when I was young, when I started hunting, it was uh, you were motivated by the harvest. You wanted to shoot something, so I think all your effort was putting to shoot shoot something, and it wasn't really. But then I didn't care. Like it was, I just wanted to shoot a deer, right? It was I just wanted to shoot a deer, wanted to eat the meat, and that was it. Unfortunately, or fortunately, the animals that ended up shooting were pretty good deer. Like my, I shot a a nice four point, fairly young four point. But the second buck I shot went one. I uh, didn't quite make BC books. What's BC book? One seventy five. So I think he was like a one seventy two mule deer. Okay. Um, so that really kind of hooked me into, you know, looking for mature animals. Not that I was centered that way. I think we were still interested in the harvest. And then, then when we started doing the horse trips, it was, it was meat. We didn't really look at first. And because we were bow hunting, it was like, if that opportunity presents itself, we're going to shoot it. So we kind of went through this evolution of just wanting to get meat. And then as we sort of evolved, we started, yeah, okay, we still want meat, but let's look for bigger, bigger animals. So we were looking for, you know, bigger moose with our bows or bigger moose with our guns or if it was elk, if it was, you know, because it was all six points. If a six point came in, um, you know, we were going to shoot it. But kind of, so we kind of had that evolution as a group that we were, we wanted to harvest and we wanted that meat and that was our biggest motivation but it you know we sort of had fun with it too because you know doug was he was shooting when we first met doug kind of reverting back but he used to ride around with a 30 30 in his truck and that's what he used to shoot moose with okay but then he went off the deep end and got a 300 win mag <laughs> <laughs> so it's like how does this relate and then so you know we're doing our horse trip so you know you're quartering all your meat up and Doug shooting moose and with his 300 and just like well there's the front shoulders gone because you shot it with so we actually instituted a rule that if you wasted meat it was going to cost you horse packing gear so it was either tarps pack saddles pack boxes if you wrecked meat it was going to cost you something so we had this that's it so that's how we kind of upgraded our gear we had this rule if you wrecked a, a shoulder or a back strap or any of that or a tenderloin even worse um you were, it was going to cost you. <laughs> so 
that piece of that evolution. So I think that just kind of pushes to be selective in harvest, selective in shot. Um, like I said, it was still about the meat. <clears throat> and then, you know, that next piece was, you know, we we could do some trips. We, we took, but then we started taking other people where, you know, it didn't really matter if we shot something. We'd take other people's, we were kind of mentoring other guys, you know, that wanted to go on a horse trip, that wanted to just shoot a moose. And um, we could kind of just enjoy the trip. We still got to do all the work with the meat, but we didn't have to pull the trigger. And I think that just kind of started that evolution on to the next phase of, you know, let's get out there. We want to get out there. We enjoy it. If we get something great, as long as we're seeing animals. And I think that's, that's probably that paradigm shift that's occurring right now is there's not a lot of animals on the landscape with the way things are. So I think, you know, if it's, if you're a young hunter going out there, um, it can be frustrating sometimes that you're not seeing the animals that we were seeing back in the 80s and 90s. But I'm also seeing some pictures of some decent animals starting to come back a bit. So I think we need to, all of us need to mentor that piece um, for the conservation side, but also to bring our populations back. So it's it's it should be the Serengeti of the North. That's what BC should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't feel we're at that point yet, but that's that's that evolution piece. And I think we've all shifted into... I mean, anybody on our board, I think, is in the conservation mode. Um, and we've got guys on our board that have never shot a sheep still and as passionate as me and you about conservation. So I think I think everybody that's on the Wild Sheep Society of BC gets where we're at, what we're doing, what we're trying to do. It's just frustrating to try and get the bureaucrats to do what we need to do to, to get our sheep populations back. Mm-hmm. But that's been the evolution. And you know, like I said, me and Mike went last year and... Uh, I don't even think we saw a sheep, but we had a hell of a good time. <laughs> but you asked me about booze on those horse trips. Um, we never did pack any booze. We packed one bottle of whiskey, and it made it three trips. And the only reason we drank it finally was because we didn't want to pack it the following year. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. We made up for it when we got out of the bush. Yeah. <laughs> There's a few stories there, but uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, we never we never took any booze in with us on the horses. It's interesting. I I'm the same. Like I know, got a couple of buddies of mine that always love to hear about my mountain trips, and they said, "Do you, do you take any booze with you?" And I'm like, "No." And then two years ago, we we did a fly in where we brought some booze and we threw in a I think a dozen beer and left them at the lake, right? Yeah. And uh, we got back to the lake and we're like, we should have some beers, and we're just like. I think we cracked the beer and we both dumped them out. We didn't even finish it. It's just like, I don't know, it's different when you're in the mountains, right? You just want to take it all in and it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. And then sometimes, you you know, you're so tired, (laughs) you can't even drink it anyway, right? So uh, it is different. Um, So before we sign off here, how did you get in the conservation game then? So it was, was it the Mule Deer Foundation you got involved in or was it RMEF? I can't remember which one it was. Yeah, it was Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. <coughs> okay. So but, uh, is that, was that your first involvement or was there something before that? Um, not really, not really, Kyle. I think it was, you know, I'd been doing the 3D shoots and kind of just hunting around, but kind of aware of RMEF. And then when they, when they came to Canada and then they had that chapter pieces, mm-hmm. Um, so I can remember being in Victoria and I went to the first meeting at the army depot on Bay street and they were going to farm form an REMF chapter here in Victoria and that really didn't go anywhere. And then, uh, 
Some other guys got it going. So Gordy Simpson, Doug Sage, uh, Tony Nowakowski. They were kind of three of the guys um, that kind of, they were on that chapter. And then I joined the chapter as a young guy. And then there was a Gord Gravel, Wade Banning. Um, so kind of a group of guys here. And then we, so we had probably four or five chapters out at Olympic View. We had four or five banquets out there. What but, kind of numbers would you have for guests and stuff? A couple hundred? Yeah, I think we were in that 180, 200 range. And then, because RMF all had their, their own merch, right? It all had their logoed merch. So they were supplying the merch. And then, but, you know, the big difference between the sheep world and what RMF does is RMF was modeled after Ducks Unlimited, where the money goes back to a central pot, right? Yeah. So the money was going back either to either Rocky Mountain House to be dispersed out for different projects around the province or. I think it did stay in BC, but I think the. I'm not quite sure how it how it evolved. So we did that for a few years, and then RMF pulled out of Canada and just stayed in the states. Um, you know, it's the same thing as we've discussed about the Sheep Foundation trying to operate in Canada and having having this. And I think the Sheep World we've we've kind of got it figured out with our partnership with Wild Sheep Foundation, Wild Sheep Society of BC, and WSFA Alberta. And, those nuances where we can work together but we're still doing our own thing um but yeah you know so once they left it was like wasn't really doing much and mike had mentioned to me about the society and then um i think we went to i don't know where the first convention whether it was langley i think may have been the first one i went to i think so mike may have been on the board or got elected on the board i can't remember if it was langley where he got elected um, so we went to that convention and then we went to one in Prince George and um, kind of started that evolution. And I think I just kind of, yeah, this is, it was very green and very young. And What year would have that been, give or take? Like early 90s, early 2000s? Well, that wouldn't have been early 90s, but the early 2000s, what, what are we looking at time-wise? It was my daughter's, just turned 30. And she spent pretty well every birthday at the society <laughs> fundraiser. Happy birthday, sweetheart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Her birthday fell on our convention. Okay. Which was... Poor uh, kid. Yeah. Um, so she, she, it was good for the kids because they go skiing and they can hang in the pool and stuff. So it would have been back in the, oh God, late 80s, early 90s maybe, 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been the 80s. Right, if my math right, twenty three was it twenty three now? Yeah, thirty. Yeah, late nineties. Yeah, late nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because Jacob and Mike's twins are the same age. They're they were born in ninety six. So okay. So right down ninety four, ninety five, somewhere around there. Right. Yeah. So that yeah, just kind of hung in the society world for the last. 25 30 years <laughs> so you got involved you went to that first show and then so like i guess mike was involved with the board so you started getting a little bit involved and stuff like that yeah. too and wait, what t tell me like a, your, your first convention that you went to with them or the, the, the show i guess it was a banquet and that was kind of it kind of like a fishing game banquet almost eh? yeah i think the first one was at langley and it was a country club in langley a golf club right and um was a f I think we had a bunch of sheep mounts, and it was basically just the sheep mounts, 
on the auction that was that was basically so it was kind of model after RMF you just show up and have a fundraiser and that's kind of what the model was so right. there was donations from around the province and yeah um so yeah that's what the first shows were like and they were like that for quite a few years and then it's just kind of evolved and then we you know I remember going from a one day to a two day show and then we had some discussion about that but it's like if we're going to bring people from all around the province for one day it's a lot of effort so you're yeah. only going to get the local or within a certain area, like trying to get somebody to come to the Kootenays to the lower mainland for one day. And we were looking at, you know, it, it's kind of started in Camelot's because we went back to Camelot's when we were still a one-day convention. And so every Friday night we'd be sitting in the bar till one, two in the morning or we'd end up going downtown to the country bar and, you know, there's another shit show, right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I remember one of there was one year, one of our buddies from up north he came down and uh, we were at some country bar and I don't know what the hell we were drinking but we were drinking enough shit and um, they were smoking cigars and uh, he didn't even make it to the banquet on the Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> it was at three or four o'clock in the morning and he didn't not get out of bed. <laughs> um, but I think even Glenn was. Uh, I remember what I think it was, that might have been the one the same one, but Glenn Coonsell. I remember seeing him. Uh, Glenn was sitting on a couch out in the lobby in Kamloops at the coast where we are now, and it was like two in the morning. He's just liquored. I'm <laughs> 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 no bullshit, but so yeah, there was a lot of early days. I think the banquets were a little quieter because everybody was always wound up on the the Friday night, just uh, happy to get together. So that's how the Friday night fun night started. Was uh, you know we're giving money to the bar. And we're all talking sheep. Why don't we just have a fun night where we're in control of it and we can yeah. we can bring everybody on our terms. So that's how the fun night started. Because huh. we used to have too much fun on Friday night. <laughs> yeah, it was it was uh, true true to the true to form and truly a fun night, eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. But you know, coming back to uh, you know taking booze in the mountains. Um, me and Mike have taken. We take it once in a while. You know, there's a couple of times I'll grab a couple of, I think uh, there was a goat hunt. We had a goat drop at, uh, around Lillooette and uh, I don't know how the hell I hornswoggled this one, but somebody had sent me some lobster. So I had some lobster and so I had lobster and I took a really good bottle of red wine with us. So we had red wine and lobster on the mountain. Well, I always hear about Southern. He's notorious for bringing um, good food, good drinks, and always yeah. the best of the best when it comes to camp, right? Oh, yeah. So. Well, we were up in Adziza, or, uh, yeah, Adziza, and uh, same thing. We had kind of a base camp, but we'd spike camped out, and we went for a big hike and stuff, but we came back, and I think it was the second day, and then we'd kind of scatter around. We were looking at goats and stuff, and um, I think I'd shot a couple of ptarmigan with the bow, so we had this ptarmigan, so we sliced it up, and Mike had brought some cherries in, and we couldn't eat them all, so Mike had rendered these cherries down with some brandy, and we had this brandy saute, and we uh, just lightly cooked the, the ptarmigan, and then we put this brandy cherry saute over the ptarmigan <laughs> in the mountains. <laughs> it was fucking spectacular. Yeah. I'm salivating over here. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So, yeah, it's not like... Uh, we usually come out skinnier, but this, this is the odd time we uh, we eat well. And uh, I think we had probably had a bottle of scotch. I think we usually have a bottle of scotch and some beer now once in a while. But huh. scotch seems to be the main menu. Yeah. <laughs> Got to do something to do a little different. You need a new hunting partner. I have to go with you and Mike, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, it's uh, it's been pretty cool. Like I say, I, I'm glad I just you know I told people lately. I said I'm glad I did what I did when I was younger, because trying to find the time to do it now would be almost impossible. Right. Um, you know, it's funny. You don't have the money when you're younger, but if you can find a way to do it, it's uh, they're lifelong memories, right? And it's you never know what course course you can end up on right you know i was fortunate enough to get elected to the wild sheep foundation board i was there for six years and still involved with the society so it's been pretty fun but i've also got to go on some gun hunts some great hunts sacrifice some time because of what i've done for conservation um you know when i was on the sheep foundation board it cutting to some hunting time but uh, i wouldn't trade any of that stuff it's if you're transplanting sheep or whatever we're doing, it's just as rewarding as harvesting a sheep or, you know, we've kind of touched on that a few times. But, yeah, it's um, it's been fun. It's been a great ride. It's uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world, I can tell you that. Well, we still got a little bit of work left for you to do, too. <laughs> so, yeah, I know you always joke around. Once you just solve the disease problem in British Columbia, you can retire. Yeah. And that's the only reason, I, you know, they've been close a number of times, so I've had to make a few phone calls. We can't afford to lose Chris. Let those fuckers still die. <laughs> uh, just kidding, obviously. But, yeah. uh, um, but uh, so let's talk a little bit of a legacy. You know, you've you've done a, a ton of work for wild sheep, decades, and, and other species too. Like you talked about RMEF and uh, other uh, other orgs that you support, Wild Sheep Foundation, the Society. Um, you know, do you? Is this a legacy piece for you, or you just want to do what you can to help the species? Do you think about leaving a better future? Or is that something when you're thinking about actively when you're working on this stuff? You know what? It never really... Um, not a legacy for me. Um, I think a legacy of what we can do for sheep. So I think this that's the society's legacy is what we should be doing. And it's pretty frustrating because as long as I've been doing this, in my mind, our sheep population's are probably worse than when I started, which doesn't make you feel very good. Um, but the hurdles and the roadblocks are there to try and do what we need to do for sheep. It's To me, it's so simple, right? Like what I do for work, we solve problems every day and we've got to make a decision and move forward. It's not like we've got to wait a month because somebody's on holidays or whoever. And, you know, it's pretty frustrating when a minister can sign off on something on regards to disease and how preventable preventable this is and there's still nothing you know transmission there's other people talking about why is this so hard to do and um you know it gets i often wonder if it's not the politicians i think it's more the bureaucrats and i think somehow we've got to make the bureaucrats accountable and make the politicians push those bureaucrats to change what we need to change for wildlife. Because obviously, and again, maybe this is just my opinion, but I think wildlife is not valued enough by government or potentially the people of BC. And they need to wake up because that's to me, is the biggest thing is, you know, and I've said this before, if you want wildlife on the landscape, it's yes or no. It's not maybe this, maybe that. No, we don't want this. We don't want that. It's make a decision, let the science follow it, let traditional knowledge have its input in there and let them follow that, blend the two together, and let's do something for wildlife. So the legacy piece would be to have our sheep populations be better. And that's kind of, I think, where the Fraser comes in. To me, that's a legacy project. If we can 
take that population from 850 sheep and return it back to the 3,500 sheep, that means we've done something positive. And I'm, we're on the cusp of it. But again, if we have another disease event, we could lose all of that effort. Mm-hmm. So, and I think, you know, there's other legacy pieces. I think in the Okanagan, we can turn these pieces around. Like, you know, what do we do about fragmented habitat? What do we do about Movi and Soratis and our Okanagan sheep populations? If we can turn the tide on those, we still got to look after habitat and the wintering ranges and stop. We got to look at how we develop land for wildlife that we're losing winter range for our wildlife. So it's whether it's mule deer, sheep, and obviously a little species in the Okanagan are affected by that. Um, how, we can't create more habitat, but how do we keep that habitat contiguous? How do we create this refugia for wildlife so they have a place to exist um, and we still can get to go out and enjoy it, whether it's hunting, wildlife viewing, and, you know, we all want the same thing. We just use wildlife in different pieces, some of us anyway. So if we're not doing that, if we're not looking after wildlife like we should, um, is it an investment issue? Is it a lack of planning and foresight issue? Is it a lack of uh, um, importance of of wildlife? Uh, You know, first of all, you talked about not valuing wildlife, and you're right. Like, you know, uh, timber pays ways. Like there's jobs, there's uh, taxes, uh, you know, the revenue from wildlife. Uh, yeah, there's some ancillary businesses in the guide outfitting industry is, you know, it does bring revenue to British Columbia, but it's, you know, you even look, you know, the guide outfitting industry, how many people are employed in British Columbia? Hundreds, like not thousands, but you look at um, the timber industry, lumber industry, you look at mining, oil, gas, whatever, pick, pick an industry, it's, we're talking thousands. So, so there's that issue. Um but we, we look in places like in the U.S., there are some really successful models where they're, you know, they're doing really well. Like, look at what wild sheep's doing in Mexico, for example. Yeah. Um, so how do we change that perception here in British Columbia? Because it, it's right, we, you know, to talk about beautiful BC, we talk about the Serengeti of the North. Meanwhile, our numbers are pretty bad in a lot of places. Um, how, what's the silver bullet? What's the fix for all this? I know it's an easy ask, Chris, but... <laughs> Well, I think some of it comes from when we touched on in the summit, right? When we could bring, when we had the sheep summit in PG, the, all those diverse groups were there. To me, the only one that was missing are the key ones is is industry, right? It is how do we get industry to the table? How do we get mining? How do we get forestry to the table to discuss how they're going to log a certain piece of land? What do they need to leave in place? What can they do that's going to help wildlife? We don't have those conversations. Um and whether that's on us some somewhat. Um, but I also think it's the forestry lobbyists that have created that thing. <clears throat> and I think the forest industries put themselves in a position now where they're going to be, they're all scrambling because they don't have the supply, be it from, from forest fires, from beetles, whatever it is. The timber supply isn't there. And, you, you know, when you start looking at why, you know, why does Tolco shut down their plant in Kelowna? They don't have log supplies, right? So I think, you know, you've got to be smart about how we how we create those jobs, but we also need to be looking at how we harvest that timber, what's the benefits to wildlife, and how do we do both? 
I think we can find that balance in between where we can be successful, where forestry is actually doing stuff for wildlife. Um, you know, there used to be a lot of cut blocks where moose were doing really well before they started spraying. Um, moose populations were really good. So I think we've got to get those industry partners to the table because that's one thing I see that's missing from, you know, from when we had our summit. You know, we had every other piece of the puzzle there, but we didn't have the industry piece there. So I think if we had industry there sitting down and talking to us, talking with us, collaborating with us, I think that's the key piece. Um, you know, what does that what does that look like on the landscape? I don't have all the answers to that, but I think it's a key piece into making making our populations turn turn that table, make sure we're not fragmenting it and like make sure we're not developing those areas. Um for housing, you know, and obviously there's a housing crisis everywhere in the province, but how do we look at doing that and say, you know what, that's a good place for subdivision. No, you better leave that alone. That's sheep winter range, right? That's, those discussions don't happen. Um, and whether it's municipal, regional districts, or provincial governments, or even potentially federal government, um, you know, how do you bring all those pieces of the puzzle to the garden? You know, we all, we've all gone through this with, trying to meet with government and I think we're limited somewhat by um, you know we're volunteers so there's only so much time that we can we can do to make that follow-up and as hard as you try it's it's tough to keep that continuous pressure right like there's some days I go back oh shit I should have been doing this um, right away and obviously I lean on you a lot to uh, say you know what we need to get a meeting with X um, but again, you know, you, you've got a full plate doing what you're doing. So how do you put another piece on to, to what we're doing, right? We're, we've created this monster and now we've got to keep feeding it. So I think we need to do our part. We need it. That's the piece of education. I think where one campfire comes in. And I think we need to have that outreach to industry as well. Hmm. Well, that's, uh, that's a heavy one. So I guess the last thing I was just going to touch on is investment in wildlife. We look at the U.S. and uh, the Pittman-Robertson Act, where they invest heavily. There's hundreds of millions of dollars yearly that go, and, and it's an excise tax that hunters are paying effectively for for wildlife. And, you know, it's a great program. It's worked really well. But to me, there, there's a serious lack of investment in wildlife in, in, in B.C., so provincially. Pittman-Robertson is a federal program. Um, you know, in British Columbia and Canada, we don't really have anything like that um you know why don't we or what can we do what are some are you know we've got this two new together for wildlife um paradigm shift this new strategy um co-management and um how do we how do we invest more how do we get more money for wildlife and because you know uh no money no projects right like it you know and money isn't everything but it's certainly something and, and you know investing in wildlife is a big deal so what do we what can we do on that front that's a good question, Kyle. And like I said, I think it comes back to, you know, if the general public of BC valued wildlife, then I think you can make that paradigm shift change with how government spends money. But, you know, everybody's crying for housing. Everybody's crying for medical. Everybody's, everything's in a crisis mode right now. So how do we elevate wildlife to be in a crisis mode in that sense? to elevate that piece so i think that's that's our advocacy piece um obviously we're doing what we can with great support from our members 
for the amount of money that we put on the ground. But um, like you said, there's so much more we could do. And to me, it's it's everybody in BC. To me, I think it's, I don't want to call it a tax, but it, you know, we kind of chatted about this, these different dynamics about whether you, if you if you're if you're a skier, a golfer, a mountain biker, maybe there's a recreational license we need. Everybody in BC should have a recreational license to go on. If you're using Crown land for recreation, then you need to buy a recreational license, and it's maybe it's ten, fifteen bucks a year, whatever it is. But then that money would go into HCTF, and then HCTF would disperse that money for those projects or or whatever. It does. It can't go into general coffers. Um, government's got to. You know, we get taxed enough as it is, and with all our carbon taxes and all this other stuff that's going on, it's not that we want another tax. We want to. It's almost like a user pay. Um, if you're going to use it, we should all be paying a little bit for it. Um, you know, we've chatted about license fees before, but why should hunters pay the whole front, right? Mm-hmm. You know. You know. There's no. There's no mountain bike fee. Not that I'm picking on mountain bikers, but there's no fees for skiers that, you know, those mountains, that's usually summer deer, summer range for mule deer, right, where those mountains are. Yeah. Um, so why can't skiers chip in a piece? Because that's, that's all habitat. It's all usage. Um, you know, could we get the federal government to kind of, you know, Blaine Hawkins has talked about some t- sort of Pittman-Robinson thing on outdoor gear, but... Um, you know, would it encapsulate enough, you know, for mountain bikes, camping gear, what would it look like, right? So, you know, is that something the federal government would be interested in doing and then reinvesting that into the provinces? Um, all of them are great ideas. I just don't know how we get that next shift. How do we generate that peace, that belief? Um, well, I th- governments, they don't like to being in extra fees or taxes, right? They, they, you know, that that's not good for re-election, is it? It's not a good campaign. Yeah, we're going to start taxing you more. For you could have fooled me with the federal government. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. yeah. Somebody's got to pay for it, right? Yeah. All these billions we give away or millions we give away. Yeah. But um, I, I think it's just up to, it's, it's up to us to message it to the non-hunting public that they need to do something. They need to advocate for it. So, you know, how do we create that outreach, right? And you know, we've, you guys, they've got the brain power, you know, one campfire. Um, we're doing what we can, but um, I, I don't know how we create that big shift. And like you say, maybe Together for Wildlife might bring that around. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what progresses, but I think we still got to advocate for what we want to advocate for. And we've got to affect politicians where we can and affect the bureaucrats and some somehow the bureaucrats need to be accountable because they're the ones that are doing all that piecing behind behind the scenes yeah yeah well said all right um yeah this is a long one i don't want to take too much more of your night but before we wrap up what's the plan for the fall what are you doing for your what's your hunt plan Oh, uh, Mike's got his booked in. We're flying in somewhere. I have no idea. We're like, he's <laughs> joking around on Spike Camp, right? I said, Mike organized the trip. He just tells me where to show up and when, right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're flying in. Um, he's uh, Mac and his buddy. So, Mike's son, Mac, is flying in uh, with one of his buddies. Um, they're going in for two weeks or 10 days just before me and Jacob. So, I'm taking Jacob. He's never been on a hunt before with me. So, is he pretty stoked? I'm not sure if he is or he isn't. He's yeah. uh, 
he's pretty laid back you know you know what he's like so yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah it, it should be a pretty good eye opener for him we're flying in and then uh the, we're boat so moose caribou there's sheep in the area so nice um so yeah two weeks in the mountains and what's your dates for that uh, mid-September, so mid-September to end October, or yeah. beginning of October, sorry. Get your woolies out. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's awesome. Time to get cold. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's, uh, it should be fun. It should be some good fishing, and but uh, I think I need to get our asses out and go hiking around and see if I can find a caribou. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, well, it's some of the best meat out there is good caribou meat if it's, uh, if it's not too too heavy in the rut yeah so, no yeah. caribou antelope it's all been good like i remember eating my first antelope we went with billy and he goes ah we don't eat dogs won't even eat that shit nice <laughs> 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 was cutting up i'm looking at it, I go, this looks pretty good sheep meat to me i got it home we devoured that antelope <laughs> i think in less than three months yeah yeah for sure yeah that's good meat all the meats like i my kids grew up on all game meat it's crazy they right. didn't know any different at the time right what's your favorite sheep is it yeah. yeah uh stone or like thin horn or th stone yeah 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 i think they're just a bit better grass the big ones are a bit sagey you have that uh yeah sagey flavor the doll was good and the, so was the uh the stones nice yeah. yeah i mean elk's good moose is good but yeah. buffalo's a pretty close second to sheep i think though is that right eh? yeah 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 cool well, sir, thank you so much for, for doing this. Um, just awesome to connect and took a little bit of different direction today talking about your hunting because, you know, we always talk projects because as our projects chair, you're so busy in that. And it's always good to catch up on that. But today I want to hit a little bit more on the hunting stuff because you always got so many bloody good stories. <laughs> always good for <laughs> an hour laughing. So. Oh, yeah. There's been a few, I can tell you. Like some of the horse trips have just been, like I said, they, there's some good memories there. Um, I think we used to, we used to take a video camera. I got to find out where those VHSs are. There's some some pretty funny shit in there too. <laughs> VHS, you're really starting to date yourself, oh, yeah. buddy. <laughs> <laughs> For the youngsters listening, they'll be like, they talked about some VHS thing. What what is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks, Chris. Appreciate yeah, it. No and problem. You're off sheep hunting next week, aren't you? Yeah, this week. Uh, yeah, I, I leave on Friday, and uh, yeah, gonna go and chase the white sheep around the mountains or at least look for one anyway so that's gonna be a great trip that's beautiful country up there yeah yeah really really excited about it and yeah hopefully I have a few stories when i come back to to chat yeah. about so yeah it's in the sheep mountains right once you're in the mountains in the mountains once it's in your blood it's in your blood right yeah yeah for sure yeah it's gonna be a good time well we'll do it again soon yeah Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me. It's great. Yeah, we'll do it again. Appreciate it. And uh, next time we'll have you back. And well, we got to have you back. Maybe you have Jacob on. We'll talk about your caribou, sheep, moose, elk, whatever else you guys are chasing this fall. There might be goats up there too. Oh, goats. There we <laughs> the go. Goats, so. The goat nemesis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we didn't even touch on goats. We'll leave that for another story. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a few there too. <laughs> awesome, Chris. Thanks again. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Cal.